Hi, everyone. Joan Possibly here, author of The Way Success Works, How to Decide, Believe, and Begin to Live Your Best Life. We're going to be talking about that and so much more. I hope you stick around for our conversation today with Rick. You're listening to Rick Flynn. With a shout out from London Town, it's Rick Flynn Presents... Now, ladies and gentlemen, your MC for the affair, Rick Flynn. Is living the life of your dreams really possible? Well, my guest today, everyone says absolutely yes. And she comes into us all the way from our neighbors to the north, and that is, of course, Canada. I believe she's from British Columbia, Canada. She is an Amazon best-selling author. The book which she penned is called The Way Success Works, How to Decide believe and begin to live your best life. And if you're not doing that, why not? Joan, come on in here, say hello. And if somebody is not living their best life, I guess there are a bunch of excuses can be used for that. But what do you tell that person? But first, say hello, Joan. And her name, ladies and gentlemen, Joan Posivy. And I've never met a lady named Posivy in my entire life. Lifetime. First of all, before I bring you in here, what is the nationality of Posivy, if you know? The original pronunciation and spelling of the last name is not that, but it has its roots in the Ukraine. Ladies and gentlemen, Joan Posivy, the author, the book, Amazon bestseller, The Way Success Works, How to Decide, Believe, and Begin to Live Your Best Life. Joan, welcome. And why do people go their entire life? life. And they say, uh, I'm not happy now. I wasn't happy yesterday. I'm not happy. I'm not going to be happy tomorrow. I think the reason why they're saying it is because they're just too lazy to get off their you know what and go out and get it. Well, hello, Rick. And hello, everyone. And thank you so much for having me. And clearly, I love this topic. If someone is not living their best life, chances are it's because they're not aware that they can. They've never been showed perhaps a different perspective than the one that they grew up in. I was very fortunate, Rick, when I was about 18 years old, 19 years old, friends of mine said, you know, Joan, there's a seminar in town. You should go. Now, they told me it was on business matters, predominantly marketing. So I thought, sure, I'd go because that's something I was very interested in. Turns out that's what not what not was the evening was about. But rather the speaker, I spent two hours being totally mesmerized because they weren't talking about marketing. He was talking about your mind and your potential. And he said, regardless of what you think your limitations are, regardless of what happens in the past, the truth is you, you can have, do, or be anything you want with your life. Now, that was blind, mind-blowing for me, Rick, because up until that time, most of my learning had been traditional school subjects, you know, things like science, history, math. I had never had anybody talk to me before about my mind and my potential. And here's this person at the front of the room going, no, you can do everything you want now. What is it that you truly want? And I just fell so much in love with the material that I really haven't stopped studying it for more decades than I'd like to admit right now. 
<laughs> I think that's fabulous. But you know what? You have to do things, I think, of course, within reason. I used to go to the circus as a child, and I would see the flying Wallendas up there on the yes. tight the tight rope and the uh, trapeze. And, I mean, they look great. And, and I thought they were yes. fabulous. But the Wallendas, they had that in their family lineage. They rehearsed mm-hmm. that show. They were the kings of the tightrope or high wire or yep. whatever you want to call it. I knew yep. I didn't fit in there, but boy, it sure was a wonderful show to watch. So yeah, I'm not yep. wanting to be one of the flying wallenders, but I enjoy it. But I do know what I'm good at, and I think we can start right there, Joan. There are people who don't realize that A, I'm good at this or that, or I'm good enough at it to where I can do something with it. There are people who are excellent at what they do, but they don't have the confidence to say, you know what? I don't think I I can put bread on the table with these talents. And that's nonsense if you know what you're doing. Yes. And going back to your trapeze artist example for a moment, like you and I can watch them and think, wow, that is amazing. I'd love to be able to do that. But the truth is, it's not something that most of us would truly aspire to do. So here's a quick little test that anyone listening could use to basically give themselves proof, whether it's something they actually could do or not. And that is once the, you know, the excitement of that evening is over, (laughs) you allow yourself into go into a relaxed state and you see yourself in your mind's eye with the good that you desire, the goal that you do want to go after. And if you can honestly, truly, in your heart of heart, see yourself doing it, that's proof that you can do it. You may not know how, and it's going to take those hours and hours and years, really, of learning and becoming skilled at it. But if you can see yourself doing it, that's all the proof you need. There you go. And it is a fascinating topic, and it's a topic where I imagine you've helped a lot of people see things that they could not see. Why is it they were not seeing those things? Well, if I can give you an analogy for this one, about, mm, let's see, I was in my mid to late 20s. I was living in Toronto at the time, and I heard of the story of the Golden Buddha. Now, it's housed in Bangkok, Thailand, and this thing is incredible. It is about 10 feet tall, so the thing's huge, a little over three meters. It's pure gold. It's valued at about $250,000. It weighs about five tons, and it's thought to be about eight centuries old. And here's the backstory that really fascinated me. And when I heard this back in my 20s, I wrote it down as a goal. Now, as a kid living in Toronto, I didn't know how I was going to get there. But if there's something that you, you really want to go after, just write it down. That's the beginning. And at the time, I would call it maybe a priority C goal. Like it wasn't something that I had to go after right away. But I just wrote it down as something, you know, this would be cool at some point in my lifetime in the future uh, when this shows up. So at any rate, I end up being invited to co-teach some seminars for for uh, Malaysian Airlines in Malaysia. And it was a lot of their staff and pilots, et cetera. And so there were people in the audience from all over the place, including Thailand. And a lady in the audience invited me to come back to her place after the seminar on my way back to Canada, which I did. So now I get to stand in front of this thing for real. But here's the backstory that I found fascinating. 
Long, long time ago, under the threat of invasion by Burmese soldiers, the teachers, excuse me, the keepers of the statue were concerned for its safety. Well, they couldn't exactly pick up this five-ton statue and, and hide it somewhere. So they came up with this idea that I think was brilliant. They decided to hide it in plain sight. They covered it. How they did that is they covered it with layers of plaster and then painted it and inlaid bits of colored glass so that it looked decorative, but not necessarily valuable. Well, the disguise worked, but it worked so well that over the years, over over the decades, over the generations, in fact, the mystery of what lay underneath, the beauty, the value, remain hidden until, get this, 1957, when the statue was being moved from one location in Bangkok to the other. These straps were put around it. When the crane went to lift it up a little bit, one of the straps broke, the statue falls, and part of the plaster cracks revealing the gold underneath. Now, standing there looking at this statue, I'm thinking, how could something so commanding, so stunning, have been remained hidden for so long? I think you might see where I'm going with this. That same sense of awe can and should be felt for what lies at the core of you. Because you and I, like that storied Buddha, were born golden. But almost immediately, we begin to be covered up with these layers of self-doubt and lack and limitation and making sure that we see it first before we believe it. And, you know, Rick, for a lot of people, those layers are never chipped away at or peeled back, but rather just added upon year after year. And it's really been my life's work at researching and, and, and testing and figuring out how to chip away at those layers for myself and others so that we can see that beauty, that golden Buddha, if you will, which lies within each one of us. Right. And you know what I see? I see a lot of excuse givers out there. They right. find yeah. the excuse. Oh, they're out there. There's all, it's everybody's <laughs> fault, but theirs, you see. You can, yeah, you can either get excuses or you can get results. That's yeah. your choice. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> do you want to have an excuse or do you want to have a result? I like that because you are supposed to, Joan, be in control of your own life. I don't think I'm controlling your life in any manner that I'm aware of, but you went out and got what it is you wanted to get and helped others along the way. I went out and did it. I helped others along the way and yeah. so forth and so on. I'm good at certain things. I'm not that good at other things, but I know right. what my limitations are. And do you think that's part of the problem that people don't realize what their limitations are? If you can afford it, let's say you can spend a lot of money and have fun as a hobby doing something, but to determine your life and how it works daily according to something, you need more of a commitment and not just a hobby, I think. Certain people, they need confidence to take a talent and turn it into a reality. Will you go that far with me? Yes, in the sense that who you find yourself surrounded by is more important to your future and where you're going going than was built right into your genes at birth. Manager, Carl Manager proved that eons ago. He took people that weren't doing well and put them in environments where people were doing well and that person's productivity went up. We need to get in the right environment. We may not have had that growing up, but as an adult, uh, you've got that choice now. You want to surround yourself with people that are talking about how things are 
going to happen and how we're going to manifest our goals, not what's wrong and not what the excuses is. See, the thing is, like, if I can use a, a business example, one of the businesses that I had was the Delicatessen. And I basically bought it just for the equipment. It was going out of business. It was a turnaround project. And in the town at the time, there were six Delicatessens. Two were in major stores like Safeway and uh, another competitor of Safeways. And then there was four independents, mine being one of them. And over the ensuing two years, the other three independents closed while ours thrived. And I can assure you, Rick, it was not because I had any, oh God, uh, fancy marketing skills or elite business acumen, but I can't tell you what the difference was. I knew that present results, which we can't focus on, the present result of that deli was pretty dismal. It was very quiet. <laughs> so what I needed to do was acknowledge that, but then build an image in my mind of how I wanted that business to be operating. And I can see it to this day, the image that I had built and the sound of the cash register humming and the place packed with customers. And because what happens is as you immerse your thoughts and feelings that way, it drives your behavior in a different direction to say, okay, what are opportunities out there to make that happen? And one quick example was I remember seeing an advertisement for a trade show that was happening. Went to the trade show and went, and I'm, I'm dating myself here, I realize, um, <laughs> but frozen yogurt was a, a, a new thing at the time and ended up buying a frozen yogurt machine and brought it back as a, a real hit. We were the first with uh, you make, uh, we make you bake pizzas is, is what they were called. Again, not revolutionary, but it was all these little things that really added up. And the other deli people and other business owners and people in the town were talking about all the things that were wrong. And it's not that they were incorrect. They were citing economic figures and unemployment numbers and all that. However, if I had been involved in that thinking and those conversations, is that going to lead me to a thriving deli? No. So I needed to kind of set that aside, actually avoid them as much as possible and continuing to hold on to the image of how I wanted it to be and then looking for ways to make that happen. Does that make sense? Right. Now, when you say that you had your own deli, was this a brick and mortar building or did you just have yes. equipment in a grocery store? Uh, no, it was a it was a store on, on a main street. And you say people got to talking about what was wrong. You mean what was wrong with business in general in that town? Yes. Or yes. what was so wrong with your deli? Oh no, just the economy in general. Not our no, not our business. And the you didn't let that you didn't let that dissuade you. Correct. All right. Correct. Very, very well. I can understand where that was. I mean, you were spinning the dice. You got to admit, you had no idea what was going to happen here. And that happens in a lot of businesses. There are businesses that even though the owner buys them and they're not really experienced at it, the public can somehow see some type of um, enthusiasm and honesty, if you will, in that owner and they'll support them for some reason reason. Do you think that's what happened to you? It happened because we were, we being myself and my business partner, were focused on not present present results, but how we wanted to see the results in the future of that business. You see, our our thinking and the results that we get are all hooked up. I have a, a, a saying, a quote, and that is our external results are a reflection of our internal reality. So if we're looking at present results and they're not good, and that's what we continue to focus on, our behavior is not going to change and we're going to keep getting the same results. In this case of the deli, I had to acknowledge, okay, <laughs> this owner is about to close its doors. We're taking it over. Yes, these are the present results. However, here's what I want to build. And it's like, if I can give you one more analogy, we've got time for that, don't we? 
I believe we do. And if not, I'll find okay, you okay. some. How's that? <laughs> Perfect. Imagine that you and I were to take an orange seed and planted it in the ground. And we planted it somewhere that it would be conducive to what's unfolding. It's in the right environment. <laughs> and we cared for it and nurtured it. Over time, we could expect to see a beautiful orange tree emerge. Would you agree, would you agree with that? I would expect if you cared for it properly, you would. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But what we would not expect from that orange seed is we wouldn't expect to see an oak tree or a lemon tree, only an orange tree. But here's the cool thing. If we were to take that seed and dissect it and look at it using the latest and greatest technology or the most powerful microscope, we would never, ever find a little orange tree in there because it doesn't exist in there. You could say the orange tree is in the universe, but what it does contain is a pattern plan or nucleus of what it's going to grow into. And the exciting part, Rick, is that you and I are part of nature. That seed is part of nature. And we all operate under the exact same laws, universal laws, but you and I get to choose what it is that we get to grow into. So when we commit to a goal, and this is going beyond the dreaming about it or thinking about it or talking about it, but when we actually say, I'm going to commit to going after this, this thing, that's like choosing the seed. And then as you allow yourself to become in a relaxed state and see yourself in your mind's eye already in possession of that, you're doing it, you're having it, you're being it. I'm running this successful deli. That's like planting the seed. And then, yes, you got to care for it and you got to nurture it because if you let the naysayers, if you take a look at the present results and you're, you're reading the news and hearing about how terrible the economy is, what happens is that little seed that you've planted that's pretty fragile at the beginning, you're uprooting it and really planting it with an image of its polar opposite. And that involves fear and doubt and worry. And we start to move in the direction of what we say we didn't want in the first place. It's like you could plant basil on one corner and poison ivy on the other. If you give them energy, they're both going to grow. So we get to choose where our thinking is. But you know, a lot of people were never exposed to these ideas along their along their way. Or if they were, it was a fleeting moment. It was like, you know, that's a bunch of crap. And they go back to the blame game. Right. You know, I've always been pro education because I've mm -hmm. seen this thought pattern emerge amongst those that simply do not have it. And they, they do ridiculous things and waste a whole lot of money. You know, it, yeah. it's not good. Let's let me put it to you this way. It's not good. And I love to see somebody at least go to the evening college, maybe get a two year certificate mm -hmm. if they cannot afford a baccalaureate for four. Just do something which yeah. allows them to have this frame of mind that teaches them a little more about how to study, how to think, how to compare what they want to do with what others want to do and so forth and so on. I'm pro-education because what is it Judge Judy always says on TV? She says, beauty fades and dumb is forever. And boy, I believe that. Oh, I believe it. I'm Joan. I put my name on the list. It's the truth. <laughs> yeah. And education, I mean, there's so much available online now that you don't even have to have the buddy for, for the, the community college or a night course. You can go to the library and that, borrow one that of their is computers so true. And, and watch stuff. You know, the library's full of resources. You can get good information. Right. Now, you're from Canada. If we go up where Sarah Palin lives up around that area, I've seen it on TV. It seems as though there's not a whole lot of people there. And 
bears out there, <laughs> which would scare the living daylights right out of me. I'm not interested in being around these bears, but I guess... Well, it depends. It depends on where in Canada you are. There are parts of Canada that are actually further south than parts of the USA. Oh, really? Yeah, I never thought just, about look that. Look at a map. Yeah, look around the Great Lakes and you'll see it. Oh, I'll of, be like, darned. Michigan and stuff that's actually... So, right. So now, you're close your country to... country that I can say are way up north. <laughs> oh, well, certainly. We have a state yeah. up there. I, I, you know, I'm sure that that stayed up there way up north. I've seen enough video to where it scares me to even want to visit up there. But we're going to go because we want to see the glaciers and take that Alaskan cruise. I think that'll oh, be nice. great. Oh, that's what we want to well, do. And we want to go to Glacier National Park. I don't know if you've been there, but we hear good things about it. Nice. And I live in Vancouver. There is a Alaska cruise ship that leaves from here and goes up. Or just south of me is Seattle, where it right. also leaves from as well. Right. Yeah. The ones we have investigated leave out of Seattle. Right. So yeah. that's Beautiful more person. than likely what's going to happen. And it's just as a fantasy trip. It's something we were thinking about going to the uh, Panama Canal and then just oh, yeah. de- I'm sure that would be a nice trip as well. But we decided instead to go to Alaska and I, I'm looking mm-hmm. very forward to it. But you know what? When that is something I'm going to do for fun and I'm going to have hopefully a great time along the way. But I think confidence in what somebody does Monday through Sunday, if I could use that term, seven days a week, there are people who don't have the the confidence to stand up and just flat out right say, I'm happy. They'll admit to you they're, they're not happy all seven days of the week, and I feel sorry for them. Yes, yes, because it's, they don't realize that they're at a choice. They're saying, well, I'm upset or angry because of this person or this news story, and that's not correct. What they've done is they've watched or heard that person or that story, and they've chosen to get what we say emotionally involved with it and allow it to change their state, and they feel like they're feeling. Well, yeah, I can if someone see says that. something nasty, if someone says something nasty to you, you don't have to internalize it. You can think, "Wow, they have a perception problem." <laughs> right? They're slaying or, or, some yeah. demons that you know nothing about. There's something going yeah. on with that individual that does not involve you or me. Yeah, like for I remember in a particular seminar that I used to do, sometimes I'd use the example of saying to someone in the audience, based on a quick conversation, I think you're a lousy parent. Now, that person is going to react based on their self-image. They could say, oh my God, you know, I, I haven't been spending enough time with my kids and I'm working so much, but I feel really bad. Or someone else can say, you don't know me at all. I am an amazing parent. My kids should be happy that I'm being parented, that I'm the parent. So it's not what someone says to you. It's what do you say to you when that person stops talking? I would quote to them that old blues song. It says, before you accuse me, take a look at yourself. Oh, there you go. <laughs> How's that? Was that going to work? Yeah, as long as we can take it to it's, you know, the full expression of that. It's like, you guys are off the hook. You're not, I'm not going to make you responsible for how I feel and for my results in life. I've got this. 
I'm the only one I'm going to take responsibility for my results, good, bad, or indifferent. All right. You say, here's what you say. You say that you can convince someone that they are quite capable of living their dream life, whether they are age 18 or 88. Are both of those age groups hard to sway and get results from, or is it easier for that young 18-year-old and you to score and get good results? And it's much harder, as they say, to teach the old dog new tricks if they're 88. <laughs> what? Talk to me on that. Certainly. Certainly with the 88-year-old, it's going to have a lot to do if he or she wants to change. If they don't want to change, if they're set in their ways and they have, you know, then that's fine. You're not going to get through to them, nor should you. They're a choice. All I would do is offer up a different perspective. And if they want to run with it, fine. If not, that's okay too. Who am I to say what they should or shouldn't do? With the 18-year-old, they haven't been carrying around that negative conditioning, feelings of self-doubt for quite as long. Now, if you you get them at three, four, five, six-year-old, that's even better. Um, But it's funny that you should mention the 18-year-old because I absolutely love working with that age group, 18 to about 30 years old. I think it's just such a beautiful time in your life where you're you're still questioning, you're still finding your place out in the world. And it's a good time to, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Rotary. It's a international it's a club organization. Well, it's an international service organization. I think we're up to about 1.4 million members, uh, something like that. And the, there are young Rotarian group called, uh, uh, Rotaractors, 19 to 30 year olds. And there's seemingly a gazillion programs that Rotary offers all age groups and, and people from literally around the world. But one of those programs is called RILA, Rotary Youth Leadership Awards. And it's an annual event that I've been teaching at now for 27 years. And it's that age group. 18 to 30 year old. And I, I, I will do it for as long as I can. I absolutely love working with that age group, all age groups, of course, but um, they're at uh, just a really exciting time in their lives. Right. Well, don't they say a baby is born perfect. The hate mm-hmm. and, and, and all this that's taught behavior. That's learned. It's all taught. It's it's all all taught. taught. Yes. yes. And yes. so we, do you find yourself undoing evil things that have been taught? Well, we learn predominantly two ways. One is through impact. When something really impactful happens and just like that, we change. Maybe a a, a death of somebody that's been really close to you or something. I mean, it doesn't have to be negative, but it it often is. The other way we learn is through repetition, hearing or seeing something over and over and over again, whether it's good or bad uh, or indifferent. And now as an adult, you and I have the ability to accept or reject ideas. Like that example I used in the seminar of telling this person, you're a terrible parent. The person I'm saying that to has the ability to accept it or reject it. Now, we don't always use that consciously and somebody, somebody will just soak it in. And then suddenly, you know, blame me or blame others for for how they feel. How, but as an infant, the faculties of our conscious mind, that ability to accept or reject idea, we're not yet fully developed. And so we're an open channel when we're very small, zero to age six, roughly, for those influences around us. And so that's, we were raised a certain way. Now it's up to us in the future if there's something that we learned back then that we deemed negative or not helpful. As an adult, we've got 
the ability to change it. It's our responsibility, not the person that might have um, put that idea there in the first place. Okay. Why one of the greatest industrial and business countries in the world is not able to properly staff a hamburger stand and do it right? Mm. I am at a loss. Will you help me out? What's going on here other than that perhaps the, is it the kid's fault? Is it that they don't want to work? And what about the adults that claim they have no money that need a job? Why aren't they in there doing it? What mm. is going right. on? The most basic, basic of skills we can't properly do. You pull up to the drive-through and you say, I would like to order a hamburger, please. And they tell you, sir, I am sorry. We have no help. What do you wow. do? And why is right. that happening? Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, some people would, would, would turn down or not even apply for the you know burger flipping job. Whereas if you say yes to it, if that's the only thing you can find at the time, and I say this to the, the RILA, the Rotary Youth Leadership people, and, and any young person I talk to, it's like, if you're working a job that is not your dream job, make sure you give it all. You be your very best employee you can be because you never know who's going to be watching you. So if I pull up to that window and there's somebody there that is just this ray of sunshine and he or she is providing awesome customer service, I may not need to hire someone in my business right at the moment, but I'm going to make a mental note or even probably write it down. I need to hire somebody. I'm going to go back and try to steal this person because <laughs> they're not going to be working here long because somebody is going to steal them. Or if you've got somebody that's in that job and they're like, oh man, I don't want to be here. And it shows I'm not going to give them a second look. It's not the job that's the issue. Do the best that you've got anywhere that you are. Even if you are figuring you're underpaid, you're not going to be there long if you're providing more service than you're getting paid for. In a sense, you should always be underpaid because why on earth would somebody promote you if you're already getting paid what you're worth? <laughs> right. I never quite thought <laughs> about that. But yeah, that makes that makes sense. I can see that very much. But, you know, what about... Um, I remember the Vietnam War era. I don't know if you had the, mm -hmm. the distinction of remembering that, but people were writing songs about it. People were complaining about their relatives and friends being killed in that conflict. It mm -hmm. was yeah. a terrible, terrible time. Neil Young, he wrote this, speaking of Canadians, Neil yes, Young, yes. four dead in Ohio, and that was mm -hmm. about the national. National Guard on Kent State University, gunning down four college students who were innocent, who were unarmed, and all of yeah. this nonsense. And I remember that. And then I remember thinking, wow, that rebellious spirit, it's not with us anymore. People have become complacent. We don't have that, that ability. And that's what I was thinking until this George Floyd situation where Mm -hmm. Mr. Floyd is now deceased because yes. of a knee to his neck for, what, nine minutes or whatever it turned out right. to be. And yes. boy, was I ever wrong about the rebellious nature of the citizenry when they came out. And mm -hmm. oh, boy, did things change then very quickly. And not only do we have the perpetrator.
perpetrator of the knee of serving over 20 years, but I believe the other three that yeah. watched him and didn't stop it, they're now yeah. serving time as well. So, yes, there was the rebirth, if you will, of society saying enough is enough. But I think when it comes to one person's career, society is not going to watch that one person unless they're president of the United States or Elvis yeah. or somebody like that or yeah. Taylor Swift, for Taylor God's sake. Yeah. Let's yeah. not forget her. <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of Swifties out there. Yeah. And, you know, more power to her. If she can make it and do that kind of uh, gross receipts and net profit, my hat is off. But you know what? I don't know how to properly say it other than the fact that do you believe that in regard to what's happening business-wise, it can't last and go on the way it is in regard to what's happening politically? It cannot last. It cannot go on the way it is. Is this part of what's bringing people away from success? And where are the brilliant minds that are supposed to be correcting all this? Mm, yes, because there's certainly brilliant minds out well, there. Well, there sure are. Got to be. Yeah, in any economy, there's people that do very, very well. There's people that made millions during the Great Depression back in the recession in 2008 and in so many points in between. So getting back to what I was saying earlier is we can't let present results control our thinking. Certainly we'll take the economic lay of the land into account, but what we want to refrain from is saying all these numbers are coming out, it's doom and gloom, therefore my economy is going to go down the tank with it. That's what I'm cautioning against. Whereas you could say, because of the forecast and what's happening, is there an opportunity out there for me? Is there something that I can thrive in spite of this or because of this? See, there's always going to be, and this is going back to something that you truly want to have to or be that goal. If you write down what that goal is, there are going to be probably many, many reasons why you cannot do it. That's the easy part, is writing down all the reasons why it won't work. But at the same time, there's going to be reasons of how you can. And once you decide that this is something that you want to go to, Towards, don't spend any mental energy on all the reasons why it won't work. Focus on how you can. Now, that's going to take more work, but stick with it. The way will be shown. And you don't have to see the whole, what was it Martin Luther King said? You don't have to see the whole staircase, just the first step. Or as I like to put it, go as far as you can see. And when you get there, you'll see how to go further. Because if it's a big goal, well, if it's not a big goal, it's really not a goal. If you write down something that you already know how you're going to achieve, you're more like writing then a, a to-do list. But a goal is something that you, you don't know how you're going to manage. But I bet you, you know, at least the first step that you can take. And when you get there, you'll see how to go further. Right. And manifesting something means getting it to the forefront of your mind and thinking, this is what I would like to have in my hand if I can only put forth the correct amount of effort and skill to, to have it there so I can cherish it and go on in life with it. Or am I wrong? Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. And one thing I'd like to, I'm glad we're on this topic because the thing I want to caution uh, that I see over and over again, many of my guests talk about Inside Hustle Hero and my podcast is people will start, they'll try something and they don't give it enough time. When they get to a point where it's hard or they can't figure out the next step, they have like shiny object syndrome. It's like, oh, what's that over there? <laughs> and they dump what they started trying out for. And, you know, part of that is those darn online ads that make things look 
so easy. Like try this online business and six weeks from now, you'll be hanging out on your sailboat, living the good life. Well, it doesn't work that way, despite what those ads say. There's going to be times where you feel like giving up, where this is a dumb idea and you've got to push through that. Like with the with podcasts, there are statistics out there that show that there's a very small percentage of podcasts that actually make it past seven or eight episodes. The average failure of a podcast is between episode seven and other people will tell you between seven and ten. If a podcast okay. is successful before they right. quit, they say you go to episode 20. Okay. okay. I'm so soon going to yep. be up at, at 200. Okay. That's so yeah, amazing, n- nobody wow. is going to tell me about <laughs> how to do something successfully if in my mind I want to do it. And you know what? A friend of mine told me out of the clear blue, I wasn't expecting it. He said, Rick, you know why why they, why these podcasts fail by episode seven, don't you? I said, no, why is that? He said, well, by the time you hit episode seven, the average person is running out of friends. <laughs> there ain't nobody left to call and ask. <laughs> well, let's give you an example from my own personal life then. When I started my podcast, knowing that statistic and knowing that I would run into those moments where it's like, I don't know how to do this, 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 this next thing. I committed when I started it, but I was going to do it for a year. Come hell or high water, I was going to do 52 episodes. And then I would give myself the opening just to reevaluate a year in advance, or excuse me, a, a year after and say, okay, do I want to keep doing this or not? And uh, I, I'm thrilled to say I'm in the middle of year two. But it was the same thing with my book, The Way Success Works. I thought, you know, there was times, I remember one February winter weekend, it, I was so close to giving up. It's like, this is just not coming together, which I'm thinking is ridiculous given the name of the title and the content. <laughs> but it's like everything I tried, every angle I was trying to approach it from, it wasn't just, it was not coming together. And I got an accountability partner involved. And oftentimes, and I'm sure you've heard this before, uh, go to somebody that's like busy and effective and productive. They'll find, they'll find time for you. And, uh, but knowing that this person, Dave, who I reached out to be my accountability partner was a busy person. I said, look, there's not much you have to do. Once a week, I am going to email you every Monday. And the subject line says successes and commitment. And so the idea was every Monday, I wrote to Dave and said, here is my successes. Here's what I accomplished the previous week. And here's my commitments for this week. And the accountability partner is someone that you don't want to disappoint. And I certainly didn't want to disappoint Dave. So there was many a Sunday night where I was scrambling to get stuff done before I had to report to him. But it gives you that that structure, that commitment, and make your word mean something. When you say that you're going to do it, follow through. And that, in turn, is going to help with your confidence. Because one way or another, you're going to do it. Okay, tell me about an, your podcast. Tell the people what it's called and how they can listen to it. It's called Side Hustle Hero, and I interview people who have started or scaled and have become successful at their side hustle. So a side hustle is something that someone does for an additional stream of income outside of their nine to five. And sometimes uh, they're so successful at it that they end up quitting their nine to five and they're now doing it full time. But it started as a side side hustle. And I find that most people, Dave, for example, if they want to start a side hustle, they know what it is that they could do. I mean, you, you search... Uh, 
top 10 or top 100 side hustles, you'll, you'll get a gazillion hits and you'll find something that's a match for you. The problem is in the execution. It's the starting part. And so that's my motivation for sharing these inspiring stories to inspire people to take that first step to start or scale their own side hustle. And my guests range from, oh gosh, everything from picking up a litter at commercial industrial sites in the morning to online jobs, everything that you can think of. This uh, one woman, a young child of hers said, mom, is there wine and wine gums? And she's like, no, there isn't. And then the light bulb went on and she's maybe there should be. <laughs> and she's the one that started putting wine and wine gums. But anyway, uh, but it's interesting because there is this common thread oftentimes in what made these people successful, even though what they actually do is really different. Uh, like one that I haven't even edited yet. He's uh, teaching people how to do custom suit sales, like uh, yeah, custom suit, uh, selling those to gentlemen and ladies as a side hustle to somebody who sells popcorn at a uh, night market, farmer's market. Uh, but th- oftentimes there's a common thread, like the idea of this, as I mentioned before, the shiny object syndrome. I remember one side hustle hero, he said, you know, Joan, I tried so many things before and I bet you if I had just stuck with any one of them, they would have worked, but I didn't give them enough time. Right. Now, people that you interview will often have more than one side hustle or does most most of yes. them select one business to do on the side and that's it? How does that work? Yes. Yes. Generally, that's correct. Rick. Generally, it's one side hustle. Sometimes it's multiple. Like there's a woman who is originally from Belgium who now lives in Cusco, Peru. And the local currency there, you know, she was paid in that. It just would not give her enough revenue to buy an airplane ticket in euros to go back and forth to visit family in Belgium. So she's got a couple of online businesses that pay her in euros. And then she's got a couple of side hustles in the local currency that pay for all her, her local stuff. But generally, it, it is one side hustle. All right. How about the people who think the way you're going to get ahead in life is to cut up a piece of brown cardboard, take a magic marker, put something on there that elicits funds from those that walk by, and you're just going to sit on your butt on the corner all afternoon and hope you fill up that tin cup or whatever it is. Is this going to get you anywhere? It's such a waste of talent. It's like that person's covered up in those layers of plaster, and if we could only help them chip away to see what they're truly capable and to provide service. That's that's within all of us. We might not recognize it, but it's there. We were going out to eat at a restaurant, not very nice restaurant. And when we pulled into the parking lot, a female, a white female that looked like she had just woken up from a nap in the gutter and came over and started begging for money. Mm -hmm. I kept my mouth shut, but (laughs) the lady I I was with did not. She said, I am not going to give you any money at all. But there was a fast food chicken, I believe, next door. Not the fine dining where we were headed. There was a chicken joint next door. She said, I will walk with you next door. I will go in. I will buy you something to eat. I'm not going to give you any money. And the lady looked at her and said, oh, no, no, look, I'm not hungry. I don't want any food. I'm looking only just for the money. That's all. And Mm. she proceeded to walk away. That was it. 
Yeah, yeah, that's too bad because if that that woman could see that there is value to her life and what she could do, she could ask for what she wants and maybe maybe somebody would give it to her. Yeah. Like something that would lead her in the direction of she's one of she's the news magazine TV shows. I I I'm not going to name the name of it, but they followed at closing time, if you will, somewhere, you know, they were there all afternoon. So around 5, 530 at night, I called it closing time. That's when they shut the operation down and went home. And damned if that camera crew didn't follow that woman from that locale and, and watched her get into a Mercedes Benz and leave. Do you believe that? Oh, wow. Interesting. You know, I'm telling yeah, you. That's pretty sad. If yeah. you manage one of these hamburger joints and you do well if you can do well in your mind you can make 50,000 and up a year i think somebody can live on that i really do yes i don't know yeah. why you show up and they have no help it it, it just it behooves mm. me where are the teens yeah. that just graduated at age 18 and perhaps don't have their act together and don't know if they want to go to college yet where are they right. why aren't they working to build a fund so that they can go when they get some tuition money together Right. I yes. can't, I can't great. understand it. Yes. And there's, there's so much experience they can gain there as far as working with other people and hand, hand, handling irate customers and making contacts and above and beyond the minimum wage. Right. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and say to you, is living the life of my dreams really possible? No, it's not. I'm, I'm such and such age. I've never done it and I'm not expecting that I could. They view life on on the earth, uh, this earth, as something that, well, it just seems they don't view it as something they enjoy. It's something that brings a lot of them down. And as you know, it depresses people who yes. sometimes they feel the need to, as I put it, hit the time clock and just check out, which I hate right. to see. I don't think anybody should do that. Uh, no. You know, I, I'm so upset when I hear that happen. Happening. But has anybody yeah. ever come up to you in your adventures in life and said, Joan, I cannot do it. I'm not happy now. I wasn't happy yesterday and you're not going to make me happy tomorrow. What do you say? I mean, fortunately, I have not been in that case where somebody has basically said, I am going to commit suicide. However, if you're saying that they're just saying, you know, like, I'm, I'm, I'm happy and there's no, you know, hope for me, I don't see another way. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going out there impressing my beliefs on anyone. If somebody wants my help or they see my results and say, hey, how do you do that? I'll tell them, here's how you do it. But I, you know, I've got a thousand people over here that want my help to improve their lives. I'm not going to be focusing on this one naysayer has no yeah like wh wh why <laughs> no, yeah yeah that, that's yeah that's 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 not my thing. And and when you said that the, 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 the depression, that's like I mentioned, I think I mentioned early on that basically my life's work has revolved around sharing an understanding of the connection between the way we think and the results that that generates in our lives. And that's both both positive and negative. So if, if a person is, that's why I was saying with the delicatessen, it was so important that I built an image of how I wanted it because that controlled my thoughts and my feelings, with, which drove my behavior like seeing an 
advertisement for a trade show and getting the frozen yogurt machine, et cetera, and then producing that result. It's polar opposite of that also works. If I worry and doubt, if I worry, that becomes an emotional state called fear. And that fear manifests in his body as dis-ease, depression. See, mind and body are one, not two. We can't separate the two. So if we're in a negative state for a long time, obviously that's going to impact the body. Right. You say that it takes courage, confidence, and drive to launch the things in your life that you need to have when they're not there now. Courage, confidence, and drive. And that, that comes from understanding. The polar opposite of understanding is ignorance. Ignorance simply means not knowing. And that's what I mentioned that, that early on. I felt so blessed to be able to trip across these ideas when I was 18, 19 years old and start implementing them because they were very different than from what I was taught. And so the opposite, like I said, of ignorance is it's simply not knowing is understanding. And that comes through study, which you mentioned the value of earlier. And that study is ongoing. Every day I want to study, even if it's just a little bit. It's not like you brush your teeth in the morning and go, okay, I don't have to do that for the rest of the year. <laughs> it's something you got to do every day. And for, you know, a lot of us, we've been carrying around these uh, negative attitudes and ideas for a long time. Remember, I mentioned one of the two ways we learn and the most common is through repetition. And so some of these negative concepts have been our traveling companion for a long time. And so listening to one podcast or reading one book ain't going to do it. You need that little bit each day. And there's so many great resources out there now to, to do that. Right. But now hanging, yeah. hanging out with somebody that is constantly negative about each and everything that they see or hear or talk about, boy, that is bad too. I would never oh, recommend I, I, that. I, I, that's terrible. Oh, I, I, I would, yeah, I would not tolerate it. It's just, you're, you're not in my life if that's who you boy, are. isn't that the truth? That man, yeah. And, you know, with a mentor of mine, uh, Bob Proctor, when he said, he said, when it comes to family members, he said, you know, you can't divorce yourself from them. But he said, don't go as often and don't stay as long. <laughs> right. There was a, like that, that famous author that did these books, Chicken Soup for the Soul. You were hooked yeah. up with them. Is that him? Is that Bob or is that somebody else? Tell me how you uh, got hooked up in this chicken soup with the for the soul. I had heard <laughs> of them, but I, I really know nothing about them. Okay. There are a couple of, they, they were speakers and trainers, Mark Victor Hansen and uh, Jack Canfield. They wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul. And then it you know went out to be the, the phenomenal multi-series books. They've sold over a half a billion books now. I mean, oh, they sold, wow. the, sold, sold the franchise, but it continues on. But uh, it kind of goes back to my original uh, longtime mem member, uh, Bob Proctor, who's been world renowned in the area of personal development. And the idea kind of started in a brand brainstorming session way back when during a program that Bob had originated and brought those two people into it. There was about five speakers at the time, and I was also working there. And at any rate, Jack Hanfield and Mark Victor Hansen started this series. It's a collection of uh, short stories, and they were told no. Oh, gosh, it was 100 and I can't remember what the number now, but it was well over 100 publishers said, no, 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 it's a dumb idea. Nobody reads short stories, et cetera, et cetera. But they continued on with their image. I told you they've sold uh, 500 million, half a billion books. I got, I still got it somewhere, a postcard that uh, Mark had sent me back at the time. And he said their goal for that particular year was to sell a million and a half books in a year and a half. I think they've kind of blown past that. Boy, slightly. But, uh, it was a slightly. wonderful concept. And they, yeah, yeah. 
but they one of the tasks they used was every day they committed to doing five things to get word out about the book, five different things. And they did uh, unique things, like they got it the book in restaurants so that if someone was eating alone, they could read these short stories. And because they were only like the stories were a page or two long, t- typically, uh, it was easy to, to read a few stories while you're uh, eating there. And then the server, when they came over, if they saw you enjoying the book, it could be, oh, if you like, you can take that with you and we'll just add it onto your tab. <laughs> that was <pretty> original. <laughs> so uh, Mark is a brilliant marketer and Jack Canfield is like the king of uh, self-esteem. So it was a great combination and they do a lot of good work. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the website for our author today, who is kindly consented to come in here from the country of Canada all the <laughs> way. And you sound like you're across the street, for heaven's sake. A good connection to Canada, Joan. Very, very good. (laughs) I'll tell you what. Nice nice way to put it. There we go. Her book, ladies and gentlemen, which is an Amazon bestseller, The Way Success Works. How to Decide, Believe, and Begin to Live Your Best Life. The Way Success Works works, how to decide, believe, and begin to live your best life. So let me play the devil's advocate before we say goodbye. All right. If something is not working the way you feel it ought to work, the way one of your clients would love it to work in their life, what is the number one thing that you advise your client or that you would do for yourself if it is not leading to you living your best life. What, in other words, is there one mistake that people make, including yourself, and how are you going to correct it to get the ship back on course? And then we're going to get out of here. Do not be too quick to judge. Sometimes when something happens in the moment, we deem it as something wrong or something negative. But in fact, maybe that's exactly what needed to happen in order to take you in the direction that you wanted to go. I think Steve Jobs said it perfectly when he said, you cannot connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect the dots looking back and you have to know and trust that somehow the dots will connect going forward into the future. So sometimes things happen and it looks negative in the moment, but it's really not. And so coupled with that, I have a mantra that I suggest you could use, and that is things are always working out for me. Things are always working out for you. That's an optimistic, a totally optimistic approach. I cannot be otherwise. Uh, over these decades now, I've, I've wired my brain to be that, and uh, I uh, I uh, lead a pretty good life. Wow. Very well done. If somebody wants your book, what do you suggest they do to obtain it? What's the best way? They could go to thewaysuccessworks.com. And what about or, your Joan Posivy website? Can you <laughs> obtain it there? No. Through there as well. Yes. JoanPosivy.com. And but if spell, they don't remember spell the that, last uh, name. Certainly. Uh, Osavi, so T is in Peter, O S is in Sam, I V is in Victor Y. So you can go to JoanPosavi.com, TheWaySuccessWorks.com, or hub really for all of it is SideHustleHero.com. And now that's the name of your podcast, right? It is. It is. And you're doing new shows, what weekly or monthly or what? Weekly, every Tuesday. All right, very very well. We want to thank our author today, Joan Posavi, ladies and gentlemen, for coming on the show. I really do appreciate it all the way from Canada, except for when you're from Canada, Joan.
phone. Here's what I was expecting. A, well, I got to do this. A, no, I used to do that, but not anymore. A, you didn't give me one A, Joan. And to be honest, I'm a little bit upset by it. Where are those A's? Where are those A's? Sorry to disappoint you, eh, Rick? That's right. Oh, I like that. Oh, that is that. Audience, did you like that? Oh, they loved it. We have a true Canadian, and something else I can tell. You go, a boot? That's pure Canadian. Now, that you did it do. Is, it, it is. I yeah, want to yeah. talk to you, Rick, a boot, that. And I say, oh, we've got a Canadian on the line. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Rick Flint speaking. It's been fun, but I've got to run. On behalf of myself and our special guest, our neighbor to the north in Canada, Joan Posivy www.joanposivy.com and also the way success works That's where you can find her book, The Way Success Works, How to Decide, Believe, and Begin to Live Your Best Life. New shows every Wednesday. I'll see you next week, everyone. Thank you, Joan. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, and have a good night. Thank you so much for having me, Rick, eh? And for being on your show. (laughs) I love it. And I'd love if your listeners would like to connect. Yeah, come on down and find me then. Oh, that's that's superb. That is superb. Thank you. (laughs) That's fun. The preceding was a Rick Flynn production. This is your announcer, Chantal Marie speaking.